This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. We were brought into this because the people I represent needed somebody to do something, but what we found quickly, a handful of us, uh, members of Congress across the country and across the political spectrum, across the partisan divide, were suddenly having to deal with this issue. And so we decided we were going to act in an unconventional way for Washington, D.C. We were going to put together a bipartisan effort to deal with this problem. That's Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee, honored by WQA as one of its 2019 Champion Award recipients, talking about PFAS, or PFAS. And welcome to another episode of WQA Radio, news and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. Find us at wqa.org, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. This is podcast number 112. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. In this episode, we'll hear a portion of the remarks Congressman Kildee gave at the Water Resources Congressional Summit in Washington last week. WQA co-hosted the event along with the Irrigation Association and National Groundwater Association, part of the WQA DC Fly-In. And afterward, I talk with Congressman Kildee about PFAS. We'll also have a new feature, We'll check in with Susan Keaton at the WQA convention desk. Now on to U.S. Representative Dan Kildee in Washington talking about PFAS. So I represent Flint, but I also represent Oscoda, Michigan. And some of you may have heard about Oscoda. It's a It's a small community in the northern tip of my district in the northern part of the Lower Peninsula of Michigan and it was the home to the Wurtsmith Air Force Base for a long time. Uh, A couple decades ago that base was closed and not that long ago um, PFAS, pretty significant PFAS was discovered in the drinking water. That's where the B-52 was based, the SAC Command had B-52s based there and I remember as a kid going up to see those planes fly in and out. And of course, because of uh, the uh, (coughs) testing and use of AFFF in the firefighting, the drinking water in that community was seriously compromised. A lot of folks there depend on groundwater, uh, just like most people, or half of people do. And he, uh, there, um, we've seen really significant PFAS contamination. And sadly, the Air Force has really not stepped up the way we think they should. The difference between the PFAS contamination we see there and in 400 other sites and what we know generally to be in the environment is in this case, not only do we know where it came from, but we have a, a, uh, an entity, the federal government, that clearly has a public responsibility and can't deny that it can muster the resources to deal with the problem. So the federal government, I think, clearly needs to set a better example. Those high levels of PFAS in the surface and groundwater in that community, just like in any other community, are having health impacts on individuals. We're learning more about that all the time. But also, and I learned this from Flint, when the the water, when something as fundamental as water is questioned, 
the economic impact is almost incalculable. I mean, think about the people who live uh, on Van Etten Lake near Oscoda, where they've had vacation homes for generations. What do you figure the value of that property is now when there is foam blowing up on that lake every, every spring that high, it contains really high levels of PFAS? Obviously, it's had a pretty significant impact. So people are afraid, as they should be afraid. And so, as was uh, mentioned, you know, we were we were brought into this because the people I represent needed somebody to do something. But what we found quickly that a handful of us, uh, members of Congress across the country and across the political spectrum, across the partisan divide, were suddenly having to deal with this issue. And so, we decided we were going to act in an unconventional way for Washington, D.C. We were going to put together a bipartisan effort to deal with this problem. So my very good friend, and you know, believe it or not, we have good friends across the party divide. People, it doesn't get reported very often. But my really good friend, Brian Fitzpatrick, and I launched a, a, a bipartisan task force to bring members of Congress together to deal with this problem, to try to organize a stronger effort in Congress to take it on and get it as far ahead of the curve as we possibly can because as you all know better than anybody this is only the beginning when we begin to hear about PFAS contamination at military sites and now in my own home community in my own district we have four identified sites already one right in the heart of the city of Flint that same community that's been struggling to get through this lead crisis we know it's just quite literally the tip of the iceberg. And so this task force is really intended to do a few things, but mainly to get, to start with anyway, to get the federal government itself to accept its responsibilities, its really dual responsibilities. One, to deal with the problem that it created through the DOD sites and the use of firefighting foam containing PFAS, but also to do the job that it's intended to do to protect public health through the EPA. So step one for us with this task force, and as you visit members of Congress while you're here, we were chatting a little bit about this earlier, I really encourage you to ask them to, to join with us. I think we're up to about 30 members or so now, and th these are all basically people who have the problem so they're seeking us out. But as you talk to your representatives, encourage them to join us, because it truly is an effort to work across party lines and not let the first iteration of the effort to deal with PFAS fall victim to what seems like the inevitable partisanship in this town. This is just, everything's too important to fall victim to that, but this is one that we can stop it right now. We can deal with this in a bipartisan way. Number one, to inform members of Congress. When I first heard about PFAS, I knew precisely nothing about it. Just like everyone else, um, we had to learn fast. And so I still have conversations with members of Congress that don't even know, they don't even know what I'm talking about when I talk about PFAS. They're going to find out. And the sooner they're educated on this, the better they're gonna be prepared to deal with it and help us enact policy to, uh, to address it. So particularly with the large freshman class that just joined Congress, we are working to educate, basically to break down a lot of the 
confusion about this and educate staff members, educate members of Congress on what it is we're talking about, where it comes from, what its dangers are, and what steps we need to take to deal with it. And secondly, that's what we're moving on as well, policy solutions that protect the communities that we represent from these dangerous chemicals. And because it really is a ubiquitous family of substances, we're meeting with our leadership and the committee leadership to make sure that we get this right and we use the regular order, the, the process that was intended to resolve big problems, to work through the committee process, put legislation on the floor, pass some legislation to deal with this problem. You can help inform us on what that legislation ought to look like. You have expertise that would be very helpful to all of us. And finally, and certainly not least, it's not just about better policy to protect public health, although that's clearly important, but resources. It's going to cost a lot to fix this problem. It's going to cost a lot more if we don't fix this problem. So we're not in one of those situations where we really have much of a choice other than the choice to be smart and get ahead of this and get to work on it now or kick the can down the road and put public health at even greater risk. And when public health's at risk, someone ends up paying for that. In our society, our government, someone ends up paying for it. Pay for it with increased health costs, pay for it in those communities that have their local economies affected or in some cases devastated because they can't promise clean groundwater, surface water, drinking water. That's not exactly a Chamber of Commerce slogan. That's, that hurts communities and we all pay. So there's a few things that we think we need to uh, move on fairly quickly. We were, those of us who've been working on this, pretty disappointed in the initial, our initial read of the EPA's uh, PFAS action plan. Because while on one hand, you know, a lot of the calls we got from news media was, well, this is great, EPA's moving. You know, the details sort of matter. And it didn't feel like they embraced the urgency at all that one would expect of an agency whose very title and job description is one and the same, to protect the environment. I think there are times when it needs to be a far more urgent mission. And this is one of those times. So the fact that PFAS is essentially an unregulated family of chemicals ought to scare us all. And the fact that the agency charged with promulgating those regulations and those protections is essentially making a plan to plan is concerning. So we need to get them to move. And if they don't, this is where you come in, you represent folks from all over the country who represent folks from all over the country. You know, Congress ought to do something about this. We can require a drinking water standard. And I've joined with Congressman Brendan Boyle from Pennsylvania. I don't know if any of you are from there, but Brendan's another one who's been working on this issue in introducing legislation last Congress and we will introduce again this year to require the EPA to set a standard within two years. So 
what's frightening about that is that a standard for what we know, but we don't know what we don't know yet. And there's a lot more research that needs to be done. These chemicals are numbered in the thousands, this family of chemicals. And we know they're dangerous. But we can't have a standard that defaults to perfection of science before we get about the business of trying to do something to protect public health. We will continue to learn more. Much of what we will learn is as a result of us pushing through legislation to require more research. A health study that we push through requiring the DOD to conduct a longitudinal, well not the DOD, but the CDC through the DOD sites to con conduct a longitudinal study of the health impacts. We know a lot, but we need to know a lot more. And we need to know a lot more about where these other sites, where the non-DOD sites are located. And so we are working on legislation, bipartisan legislation again, uh, to, to make sure that we get the research done to locate these other sites. Now all of this is going to cost a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. And for somebody in Congress to say a lot of money, you know we mean a lot of money. <laughs> a whole lot of money. But I think if we frame this right around what needs to be an equally uh, more, more, more than that, a really significant investment in uh, infrastructure. Then I think we get to the, the, the size and scale that we need to get to. That was Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee speaking at the Water Resources Congressional Summit in Washington last week. WQA co-hosted the event with the Irrigation Association and National Groundwater Association. And later, I spoke with the congressman. The uh, portrait you uh, made, or you, the picture you painted, I guess, somewhat pessimistic because we know it's going to take a lot of money. We know that not a lot of uh, awareness and understanding on the part of Congress or the public. So where do you begin? Well, we have to begin by educating people, especially policymakers. My colleagues in Congress, most of them don't really know anything about this. They'll find out quickly when there's a contamination that's revealed in their districts. Uh, but mostly it's educating people when they learn about it, how, diff how uh, uh, dangerous PFAS, the entire family of chemicals can be, that motivates them to act. We, what we need is everyone rowing in the same direction and so far we haven't seen that. We're going to work to continue to, to try to make that happen. Explain the purpose of the two-year deadline or timeline for getting a federal standard. Well, because it does, I mean, it takes sometimes longer than that to get a federal standard to go through the rulemaking process, like we've seen with the lead and copper rule, it can take a long time. But what, what we know is that it won't happen if we don't start. If the EPA is going to go through the full process of establishing a standard, they need to start right away. And it, it generally would take two years if they move quickly. So we want to get them moving. Congressman Dan Kildee from Michigan speaking to us at the D.C. Fly-In and the Water Resources Congressional Summit in Washington. And a new feature on WQA Radio, a convention desk update. So let's uh, get on over to the convention desk and WQA's Susan Keaton. Susan? Hi, the WQA Convention and Exposition in Las Vegas is coming up soon, April 23rd through 25th, so it's time to get registered. Prices increase if you wait until show week. Go to wqa.org convention and find the register page under the attend tab for a list of prices and other information. 
You'll see something new on the register page this week. For the first time, we're offering a special one-day convention pass at a price of $95 for members, $195 for non-members. The pass allows you access to all education sessions and the trade show on Thursday, April 25th only. Now you'll miss the opening general session, welcome reception, and other events, but for people who want a taste of convention but can't attend the entire week, it's an affordable option. You could even pair it with the WQA Business Boot Camp on Friday, April 26th. Speaking of boot camp, if you're already registered for the convention but want to add boot camp or register for the WQRF Run for Research or anything else you want to add to your registration, you can do that now. Get your badge number from your convention registration, then go on to the register page and click on the Update Registration button on the right side. We're looking forward to seeing everybody in Las Vegas for another great convention. I'm Susan Keaton for WQA Radio. Now our WQA tip. Hey, we've got a fantastic video on our convention page that walks you through the registration process. If you have any questions at all, you're not sure just what to do, click on that video. You'll get all the details. And remember, register now at wqa.org convention. That's wqa.org convention. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, news and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Just search for WQA Radio, then hit subscribe. Each new podcast will appear in your podcast catcher or podcast player automatically each week. That's the magic of podcasting. And be sure to rate and review the podcast as well. Learn more about water at WQA.org and learn more about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at WQA.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio.